I'd like to welcome everybody to the very first episode of Stories with Brad. Super stoked to get this out there for everybody. A um, few housekeeping items I'd like to point out before we begin. Um, if you haven't read or listened to the welcome to Substack message that I've pinned or the what to expect from Stories with Brad, you can take a look at both of those or listen to them. Um, they're in the feed. But before we begin, I wanted to just kind of mention a, a kind of a funny little story that is tangentially um, connected to the story you're about to listen to. So I was working at Lockheed at the time and I was working on a virtual project with a guy who was also working for Lockheed, but he was in Florida. So I got to know this guy, his name's Jim. And then for the final project, he flew out to Swiftback and it took a couple weeks and we finished the project. And while I was getting to know Jim, I wore a green sweatshirt one day that said Ohio University on it. Uh, my good friend Jill from high school, she gave it to me. And uh, he looked at it and he goes, oh, Ohio, I'm from Ohio. And I was like, really, where from? And he's like, ah, oh, Northern Ohio. And I'm like, ah, oh, me too, where at? Yeah, come to find out, not only did he grow up where I had grown up, but on a bike ride, he had ridden his bike past my grandparents' farm and he stopped there at that exact farm to get a drink of water on a hot day. And it was so funny, because here we are in, in Washington, he lives in Florida, we're both from Ohio, and he's telling me a story about how he interacted with my great-grandparents and that farm. And it was exactly how I remember the farm too, because he mentioned how clean and orderly everything was and like everything was perfectly painted white the barns the house all the buildings everything and uh i don't know i just kind of wanted to mention that because i'm going to be talking about travel stories here but no matter what you think of the world like we are more connected than you think and, and every time i'm telling a story or i'm recounting some events Somebody knows somebody who knows somebody that was there or has a friend there or has a family member or something. And uh, we're just way more connected than we really give credit to. So anyway, I really hope everybody enjoys this very first episode. There's going to be many more, um, a lot of stories from the road, but some stories from my past when I was a child like this one. So without further ado, I hope everybody enjoys Dangers of the Family Farm. Twelve-year-old Brad was in constant state of desire. Desire to be older, desire to do what he wanted, sans any consequence. My desire for the future was a constant. I find it so very interesting how slowly time moved in those days, even though I was experiencing so much for the first time. I grew up in and around the farm country of Ohio, a truly wonderful place to experience 
so many of life's firsts. Sure, the summers were hot and muggy, the temperatures and humidity were often in the 90s, but that never stopped me from literally running the wheels off my Jetter BMX bike. Equipped with a single pedal brake, no cables or adjustments to be made besides the normal seat handlebar height. As a young boy, that was my prized possession. Pedal freedom at its best. With it, I explored the world, often getting into trouble with it as well. I didn't know many things at that age, but I did know one. I loved that bike. So much so, my actions were often measured by the knowledge and possibility that I would lose my two-wheeled freedom at any moment. This was just about the only way to bring me back to reality or keep me attentive to reality at hand. But that's life when every path is still a viable option. Much of my year was spent dreaming about the summer. You see, to me, summer meant agency. Summer was freedom. I would daydream about all the adventures I'd go on, including the two-plus weeks of vacation Bible school in the summer. That meant I would stay with my grandmother on my dad's side. We affectionately called her Grandma Ruth, or Grandma for short. To stay with her for those weeks was to walk into an entirely different world. Just a short distance away, I was able to explore the hidden magic held within the family dairy farm. Now I say family dairy farm, you see, my uncle Don, he took over after his dad handed it to him. But now, my uncle Don's older years, he often hired out to others the work and management. The amount of work it takes to operate a small to medium-sized dairy farm is truly a Sisyphean task. Just imagine a family of four to six spending every waking moment of their days attending mostly to many of the daily activities on the farm. Very hard yet rewarding work. And maybe you'll need a vacation? Well, just submit your request to the cattle and wait for it to come back approved. My Uncle Don was my grandmother's brother, and he ran the farm for as long as he was physically able. He was one of the most gentle men I have ever known. He broke his back on that farm. I don't mean he worked so hard it broke him. I mean he actually broke his back in a farming accident. Never in my lifetime did I have the chance to see him stand up straight. His injury healed, but left him hunched over, requiring him to have to use his neck, always looking up to see the horizon or another person's face. To describe him, I refuse to use words like disfigured or even crippled, because I know him, and I know those words don't fit his situation. But if you only looked at a picture of him, the reference of those words, well, they may be possible. 
Just imagine how much pain and discomfort he lived with every moment of the day after that accident. But don't feel bad for him, because none of that ever stopped him from his duties on the farm or even dampened his larger-than-life gregarious spirit. I guess I realized at a young age, he was somehow different than me. And at the time, of course, my inexperience in life kept me from fully understanding why. Those summers were an escape from my own daily routine. You know, I always looked forward to meals with Grandma as well. Every morning, Grandma would ask, What would you want for breakfast? And I'd reply, The same. And she would make me bacon and eggs with a side of skillet fried potatoes. They were cooked perfectly every time. The eggs were fried in bacon grease, and about a minute before serving, she would add a tiny amount of water from the stove's resident tea kettle so the edges were perfectly crispy. Give it a try. Just make sure you have a lid handy. That was a magic plate of goodness I've struggled to replicate even to this day. For my lunch, she would pack me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with a thin layer of butter against the bread. Amazingly, the bread never got soggy. She would wrap it in wax paper and remind me every day that she expected me to return home with that paper so she could use it again tomorrow. But then we were off to Bible school. Now I should say I'm not advocating any religion or religion, period. This is just a story of my life, my interactions, memories that persist, even now at my current age. The church hosted two weeks of volunteer-led classes, consisting mostly of arts and crafts and outdoor play. During those weeks, my grandmother would often speak of her mother and growing up on the farm. She lived life through the Depression, and for her, some things had multiple uses, and all waste was frowned upon. Waste not, want not. Simple as that. She lived well into her 90s, as her parents did before her, all the while sharp as a tack. I remember her hands, always soft and faintly smelled of lotion. Her hair always looked perfect, and she showed me how she used curlers at night to keep it tidy, as was the style at the time. Depending on the day, she would take an afternoon nap she called a siesta. Most of all, I remember her smile. Her smile was as warm as the morning sun on your skin. And she had motivation in buckets. Filled by the flow from a never-ending fountain, a lifetime of hard work. She had a clothesline and a large garden and a root cellar. Let me be clear, they were not for show. They were used and used well. Maybe growing up in a world before cars, in-home telephones, or even paved roads makes for outcomes such as hers to make more sense. 
Her childhood home still stood sturdy and proud on the farm, just as I suspect it must have looked when she herself was growing up. The light switches fascinated me to no end. They were knob and tube, which meant every switch had a set of buttons. Press one for on and the other for off. Pressing one would automatically make the other come out. As a kid, I thought that was wild. And I was always told, stop playing with the lights. The house was always clean and well-kept. It's the only way I can describe it. Somehow, there seemed to be a fresh coat of paint accompanying the home and all the buildings year-round. When my grandmother was married, her parents gave her a small piece of land from their own. It was about a half a mile away from the farm she grew up on. This was the common wedding gift from parents at the time. This wasn't just a way to get a jump start on your new life. It kept you close to the other family members. Even hiring out work in those days was not as it is today, and this provided many other conveniences that a nearby location can bring. It's amazing how things have changed in such a short period of time. Families often lived close more out of necessity than choice. One such summer, staying with my grandmother for vacation Bible school stares back at me more than any other. I was about 11 or 12 at the time. I can't remember exactly, but I can say that summer, I specifically remember I did not, in fact, have my bike. That meant I had to ride my grandmother's old bike. It was an old cruiser made from bent steel tubing, one where the grips from the handlebars came out from the stem and then turned back towards you. Those first pumps always felt awkward from my BMX bike. The original rubber grips with individual finger impression still remained intact, but they were faded yellow and hardened with age. The bike was a light blue, but as a child, all I thought was, it's a girl's bike. But beggars can't be choosers in those days. So after wiping off some spider webs and a quick shot of air in the tires, I was off like a dirty shirt. And you know, for a girl's bike, it may be heavy, but it was pretty fast. Although you'd never hear me say that at the time. I kept pestering my grandma about calling Uncle Don to let him know I was here and that I wanted to, quote, help out on the farm. If I was anything as a child, I was incessant and often unsatisfied. I had to be careful not to pester people too much. Even as a kid, I knew the landscape of being annoying. I just didn't have the capacity to see the distinction of those boundaries until it was often too late. In this case, he called back quickly and I was given directions to meet my Uncle Don a few miles down the road near the old Spieth farm. Grandma explained it was about a 20-minute bike ride away. 
I didn't know exactly where it was at the time, but this was country living and everything was a short ride away and with little fear of ever getting lost. Come to think of it, there weren't really any wrong turns to make. I remember it being a blistering hot day and the humidity was punishing, but none of that gave me pause as I rode that steel monster down those tar and chip roads. By the time I passed Uncle Don's farm, I was really sweating good. That day, I had on a white t-shirt, shorts, and white slip-on tennis shoes. Perfect working clothes they were not, but at my age, preparation was not my strong suit. As I pulled up to the old Spieth farm, I could see the tractor and baler in the distance. Drenched in sweat, I was finally there. So happy to see my destination achieved, but I had a new dilemma. I had to figure out how the heck I was going to get beyond the multiple barbed wire fences which stood between me and the work ahead. I looked around and didn't really see a direct way to the field without going either through the main drive of the farmhouse or maybe back down the road which I had just came up. Even turning back didn't guarantee I would have access from the road. There was a good chance I would need to pull that big steel bike down into the deep, muddy ditch through the weeds and back up the other side in order to get up onto the field itself. With excitement fueling my impulsivity, I decided going back was not an option. I decided to slowly and quietly ride past the farmhouse. I was really hoping not to disturb them while I attempted to reach my destination. But also, I was always on the lookout for dogs. As they had been a problem for me on my bike in the past, I was always afraid of being bitten by a dog. In those days, I was terrified of dogs. In my young and inexperienced mind, they only served to protect and attack. It wasn't until later in life I would come to find the true nature of man's best friend. So finally I could make out a path, and it was adjacent to the driveway, but I had to go through some fresh-cut grass. After that, I would need to walk through an open gate that led to a small rectangular fenced-in area. I thought that it was strange that this barbed wire fencing in a area packed with tall weeds and prickers was fenced in. These weeds were strangely tall, in fact, almost as tall as me, and some of the prickers had even flowered and had fuzzy ends. The fenced in tall weeds did seem a bit strange, but the gate was open and I would only need to climb over one barbed wire fence, which was on the opposing side. After that, I'd be able to walk across the field and catch up with the tractor. But as always, I had to hurry, because they were about to make a U-turn and begin driving away from me. Very quickly, I parked the bike. Kickstand down, I began to walk into the fenced-in area through the tall prickers. It only took a few steps, three, maybe four, I think, before I fell through the crust, up to my waist in something warm and thick. As my feet penetrated the crust, I tried to fall backwards to my bike, 
but my lower body was being consumed by the warm goo below. I began clawing at the ground as soon as I fell with all my might. I was frantically mauling and grabbing at everything and anything I could, trying to pull myself back towards the opening I had just walked through only a few steps before. But the crust was broken, and now I was in a brownish liquid that was pulling me down. Complete panic was overtaking me. Every moment seemed like an eternity. And every movement caused me to be pulled lower. Still clawing at the ground, I tried grabbing the base of the tall prickers, but that didn't seem to help as they were just being torn from the weakened crust, exposing more brown goo. Then I froze. I think my heart may have even stopped. Or I experienced a second, which felt like ten. I realized in a moment I needed to be flat. I needed to disperse my weight as much as possible. I threw my head and chest on the still, semi-solid crust, my face laying upon the prickers and the exposed goo. I reached forward with both hands and pulled. It worked. I was pulling myself out. Again, a few more inches, I pulled, making sure not to move my legs. Then again, pulling with all my might and feeling my shoes and shorts being torn from my body, I was almost there. My tired arms only had one final pull in them, and I'm feeling the suction on the lower half letting go. I pulled myself out and I laid on the fresh-cut grass in the prickers and the brown goo with one shoe missing. I pulled up my shorts. I was out. I was safe. I stood up and realized the fenced-in area was a manure pit. Farmers let manure age in pits so it liquefies, and then they can spread it on the field with greater ease. By the looks of the weeds, it was about ready. I just have flashes of that ride back to Grandma's house. My shoeless foot on the pedal. Couldn't sit on the seat because I was covered in brown liquid cow poop. My shorts were almost pulled off and I had prickers everywhere, including under my shorts. I had scratches all over my body, actually. I never noticed the heat on that ride home. I parked the bike in the garage and I paused on the basement door before going in. I thought to myself, I'm definitely going to get in trouble for this. I walked in and immediately got into the shower in the basement. I could hear my grandmother call down from upstairs. I didn't answer. She came down and asked why I came home so soon. I was so afraid she would send me home. I told her I fell in a pit. She noticed my shoe at the door and knew right away what had happened. The shower helped. She brought me down some clean clothes. After my shower, I walked upstairs into the kitchen 
wearing my clean clothes. Grandma was on the phone. I could still smell that stench all over me. I sat at the end of the kitchen table, and she smelled it from the other end. She put the tea kettle on for her, and I had orange juice with pulp. She then proceeded to tell me some truly horrific stories of farmers she knew who had died working on the farm. Many farmers have been lost in accidents. I guess in those days, your mere survival meant you had an appreciation and an understanding for the ever-present risks which surround you on the farm. We spent a few hours that day at Grandma's kitchen table. She didn't send me home, and I didn't get into trouble. She took me to get new shoes. On the way, we stopped at the Spieth farm. We walked up to the house together, and she knocked on the door. She told them the story, and I pointed at the open gate. The woman just hugged me tight and told me she was so sorry the gate was open. That day has been burned into my brain with a glowing brand. I counted myself lucky to get out of that manure pit that day. I was lucky in many ways. Lucky to walk away from those pits have, and still do, claim lives of farmers today. Back then, my dad would tell me constantly, pay attention. And this proved he was right, and I was blinded by excitement. I felt lucky that day, and I figured one day my luck would run out. But my love for the farm and exploring its barns, machinery, and animals remained. Only now, slightly less aggressive than before, and I do mean slightly. Hiking the rugged trails of Washington makes me think of those few brave souls, both men and women alike who set out for a brighter future on a path of unknown dangers. With no one to protect them, accepting the risk to lay claim on the idea of themselves and their future families. Their own survival depending on seeing danger before they even knew it existed. No one else is required to fight for or protect you besides you. We cannot even surmise the extent of the highs and lows of a journey such as that. To push and pull a wheeled cart, everything you own, across an uncut wilderness, feeding yourself, your family, and your oxen only with what you can cut, shoot, or catch. To arrive in an unknown destination and only then build your own home with simple steel tools. Maybe paying attention isn't such a bad thing after all. Thinking back on my Uncle Don working that farm with a healed broken back, not even able to stand up straight, I knew it then without even understanding why, but I see it much clearer now. He and I 
are certainly cut from a different cloth. If he were built from a fabric, it would be as strong and resilient as burlap. As for me, well, sometimes I don't feel much stronger than a silk veil. Those times, along with those men and women from them, are gone, but not forgotten. Now more than ever, I sit back and I wonder, what will the future generations say about us? I really doubt my Uncle Don or my Grandma Ruth ever spent much time wondering the same. I'm guessing there was just too much work to get done. Thanks again for reading and listening to Stories with Brad. <laughs>